congregation, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 23, page 1051 in your pew Bibles, Luke 23. It's together, we read the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We remember that the good news is not how good we are, nor the good work we do for God, though he gives that to us, but the good work God has done for us through Jesus Christ to save us from our sins and to bring us back to God. Luke 23, we'll begin to read at verse 50 and read through 24, verse 12. So Jesus was crucified and he died on Good Friday. Now we have the story of his burial. True story. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid and they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment but on the first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless and build us by it. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you... You've read John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress? Do you remember the story of how Christian is traveling on his Christian journey toward the cross of Christ? He's so eager to get rid of this heavy burden that's on his back. It's weighing him down, a burden of sin and guilt and shame. 
And finally he gets to the cross. And when he gets to the cross, suddenly that burden gets loosed from his back, falls off, and starts rolling down, down, down the hill. And do you remember where it ends up? In the empty tomb of Jesus. And he never sees it again. And his whole point is, because Jesus rose from the grave, your sins are paid for. If he stayed dead, that means his death as a payment for sin was not successful. And we are still in our sins. We still carry that heavy burden of sin and guilt and shame. But he rose. His payment for our sin worked. It was successful. God accepted it and raised him from the grave. Paid in full. And we have a place for our sins to go and roll away. And be hidden and never be seen again. Forever. Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And raised for our justification. Today we hear the good news from God's word. Jesus has risen from the dead, so let's live like it. And let's help our children live like that too. I think of Silas, the crucified and risen Jesus who, whose death and resurrection are Filled with the promise of salvation, death to his sin, life with God forever, comes in his covenant of grace and says, Silas, I am yours. You have my death and resurrection. I give you the world. I promise you the world. And as Jacob and Lindsay raise him up, they teach him. Jesus has come to you in your baptism and told him, told you, he is yours to take. Take him. As a way to get rid of your sin, guilt, and shame. Take him for new life. He's yours. And that's true for all of us here. He offers himself to you. Jesus has risen from the dead. Let's live like it. First, the good news means that death is dead. The events of Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and Easter Sunday are so powerful and life-changing for the world. If the dead rise, if the grave is conquered, that changes everything. If death is defeated, we're stepping into a new world, a future of hope. And that's exactly what happened. Late on Friday, just before the Sabbath began at sundown, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and buried into the unused tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a good man looking for the kingdom. And Nicodemus helped him, we read in the Gospel of John. And the women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the other Mary, mother of Joses, and a few other women, had followed him, had followed Joseph, and Nicodemus, the body of Jesus, to see where the tomb was and how he was laid in it. 
But it was too late on Friday, too close to the Sabbath, to finish the burial and anoint him with spices. So they went home. And they prepared spices. And when the Sabbath began, the Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, they rested. Then they waited until the wee hours of Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to come back to the tomb. And as they came to the tomb, carrying their bags of spices and ointments to pay their last respects to the dead Jesus, they see the stone has been rolled away from the tomb. Matthew tells us what happened before the women came. There was an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. The earth shook. There was an earthquake. And they rolled the stone away. And they sat on it. And the guards trembled. And they hit the ground like dead men. And they got up and they ran to the city to tell the chief priests what they had witnessed. How they had seen an angel. How the tomb was empty. How the angel had told them Jesus had risen. And then the chief priests bribed them with money to tell a lie that during the night the disciples had come and stole the body. Impossible story. They were so disappointed, dejected. They had given up on Jesus. They wouldn't risk anything for that dead man. So then the women, they went inside. But the body that they saw put there on Friday evening was gone. And while they were all confused and perplexed about this, two men stood by. In dazzling apparel, they were angels. And the women were frightened and they turned their face down to the ground. But the angels said, why do you seek the living among the dead? And that's a really good question. Why would you go to a tomb to look for a living person? And why would you be surprised not to find someone who's alive in that tomb? Really? Shouldn't it be obvious to you that if a person is alive, he wouldn't be in this place where dead bodies are? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And he reminds them that the Lord Jesus told you he was going to rise on the third day. What do they do? They ran and they told the eleven and the rest of his close followers who were gathered together in an upper room. But nobody would believe them. So Peter ran to check it for himself. We know from the Gospel of John that John went with him. And there he found the linen cloths all by themselves. And John notes the, the linen headcloth folded up neatly in a place all by himself. Grave robbers don't neatly take the clothes off and then take the body. They run with the whole thing, lock, stock, and barrel. This is an inside job. This is Jesus coming back to life, undressing himself from the grave clothes, putting the head cloth to the side, and leaving the tomb while the stone is still in front, and the stone is open for the witnesses to come in and see. In his new resurrection body, he can do that. Wow. Dead man missing is the headline. Because he's alive. But back to that question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
That's really the true meaning of Easter. Jesus conquered death. He personally destroyed it. And by his own power, he came back to life again. And in his resurrection, death is dead. Death is killed. Death is destroyed. It's conquered. Death is crushed to death, we sing. And the Bible has a perfect logic for this miracle. Death comes from sin. The wages of sin is death. If you take sin away, death no longer has any power. Jesus came and he stood in our place as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's not just a good man. He's the Son of God. Whom God sent down to save us, to be our substitute. He takes our sin. He destroys it. Sin is gone. And if sin is paid for, if sin is gone, can death keep you in its grip? Of course not. If you take sin away, you take death away. And that's why Jesus rose. That's why death is dead in Jesus. In Jesus, death is dead. And if you believe in him, that conquering of death is yours. Live like it. Live like it. The tomb does not have the last word in your life, dear believer. So don't be afraid of death. Oh, it's the last enemy. It's a terrible thing. But don't be a slave to the fear of death. But sin has also been destroyed. That's why death was destroyed. So don't be afraid of your sins either. Take them to the cross. Leave them there. John Bunyan saw that burden rolling down, entering into the grave, and he never saw it again. Leave it there. Jesus took care of it. Sin is crushed. Death is crushed. Let the resurrection of Jesus Christ prove to you that your sin is destroyed and your death is destroyed. Let's live like that. Let's live in the joy of salvation. My sin is gone. I bear it no more. And though I will die if Jesus doesn't return first, death does not have the last word over me anymore. Christ has conquered it. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, he's given us the victory over death. I like what Peter says in Acts 2. God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for death to hold on to Jesus. It was impossible. That's the first half of the good news of Easter. Death is dead. Because sin has been destroyed. And Jacob and Lindsay, that's the good news to share with Silas. As he grows up, probably discover him somewhere along the way sinning. If you don't, he's a good faker, 
and you're blind. But you have good news for him. Keep sharing that. Silas, there's a place for you to get rid of that. Or he might worry about death, as often, often happens to us when we get to be 8, 9, 10, early teens. Start to get scared of death. Then we have good news, too. If you believe in Jesus, you're connected to him. And as he came out of his tomb, you will too. He will take you out. Imagine that on the last day when Jesus comes back. He'll come out down and he'll say to his people, come forth like he did to Lazarus. And his own power that raised him from the grave in Easter will invade our dust in the grave And raise us up new and glorious. Death is dead. But the good news also means that life is alive. We see that secondly. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 5. He's not here. He has risen. He's alive. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day arise? That's the flip side of the truth that Jesus is no longer dead. Flip side of the truth that he's destroyed death. The tomb is no longer the right place to look for him. The flip side is life is alive in Jesus Christ. Life is alive is alive. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that true life that lasts forever and will never die. That life is alive. That life that God gave to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The life of walking with God as God's friends. That life is alive. That life of living forever, that was also promised to Adam and Eve. It's implied in that warning. If you eat of the fruit of the tree, you will die. You will surely die. The implication is if you don't, if you obey, you will live forever. Well, in Adam and Eve, we disobeyed and died. We lost that life. But Jesus has come to restore, to return that life, that true life of life with God. And that's why Jesus is called life in the Bible. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 1, in him was life, and that life is the light of men. First John 5 verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. So think of it. When Jesus rose in newness of life on Easter morning, that's not just the life of a breathing body, a life, a body that pumps blood to feed all your cells, but is terminal and is on his way to death. 
It's truly life. It's deep life. It's spiritual life. It's life with God. It's abundant life. It's life that never ends. It's life that goes to heaven to be with Jesus when you die. It's life that raises your body from the grave when Jesus returns so that body and soul, you get reunited and you spend the eternity with God and with all the saints in the new creation, heaven on earth. Now that's life. What a gift came to light. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 that life and immortality have come to light through the gospel. Life and immortality. So you might be sitting here today as a living, breathing body. But if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not connected to him by faith, you're the living dead. You're without God. You're without hope. Your situation is terminal. You're headed for disaster. You might be smart. You might be strong. You may be popular. You might have a nice house. But you're still a living dead. You're dead in your sin. You're headed for damnation and eternal death. Don't let that happen to you. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Because in him, real life has come to life. In his resurrection, real life, abundant life, full life, eternal life, life with God, paradise life. Has been restored, has come back to earth. And if you believe in him, that life is yours. And then go live like it when trials and troubles come. They can't destroy you. You've got life. You're headed for glory. So don't despair. We're joined to Jesus Christ, our life, by faith. Our future is secure. We have hope. We have hope. We have hope. A lot of people are scared to have and raise children in our dark, dark culture, which is no friend to grace and no friend to the gospel. Don't. Don't be scared. We've got life. For us in our households. And this life is far more powerful than the death that our culture is spreading around. Are there a lot of challenges, Silas, for you moving forward? It's getting harder and harder to to live and shine as a Christian in our culture. But Silas, Jesus has given himself to you. And that's not only the death of death. That's life to live for the Lord. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we have more opportunity, brothers and sisters, to shine in this culture than for many, many years because of how depraved but also how needy this 
culture is that's unraveling before us. And people are so without hope and they're looking for solid ground. We've got that solid ground. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have so much as believers and as households. The third thing we see is that the good news of Easter means that God's word is true. It's an amazing thing what happened at the tomb in Easter morning. The women saw the evidence that Jesus had risen. The tomb was empty. The grave clothes were lying there. There were angels. But the main evidence was a lot closer than they realized. And the angels reminded them of the main evidence. What's the main evidence? For the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Let's look at it. Verse 6 and 7. Remember how he told you, the angel said to the women, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, third day. And on the third day rise. He must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He must be crucified. And he must rise on the third day. Remember how he told you that. And they remembered his words. The strongest evidence that Jesus rose from the dead is that he said he would do so. The word of God says it. And that's how we know it would happen. And when they heard that, that trumped the empty tomb, the grave clothes. Oh, yes, of course. And they ran to tell the 11. The word of God. Jesus announced it over and over again before he died. He must be arrested. He must be tried, crucified, killed. He must rise on the third day. The scriptures require it. God says it over and over in the Old Testament. It must happen. You look at Psalm 22 about his suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends amid the thronging worshipers. Jehovah, I will bless. That's Jesus speaking there. After being forsaken and killed, I'm going to rise and with my children, my congregation, we're going to bless the Lord. Resurrection. God's word said it must happen. And then they discovered God's word to be true. They believed he was risen even before they saw him alive because they knew him to be trustworthy and true, a God who never lies. And it's really that simple. The resurrection, again, is the ultimate proof God doesn't lie. His word is true. The Bible is always right. If politicians say something, they might be true. If scientists say it, it might be true. If your best friend says it, it might be true but at bottom you can't ever trust fully the words of fellow human beings we break our promises we change our minds we sift the data etc but there is one word that stands firm forever that never fails, not one of God's word ever fail, falls to the ground. There's one word that is always true, and that's the word 
of God. Then they remembered his words. Oh yes, of course he's alive. He said so. And that really is the best proof of the resurrection. The more you read the Bible, the more you discover that God never lies, the more you believe it must have happened, the more you see that it really did. You can stake your life on God's word and it will not fail. You can build your house on it and it will stand firm. You can put all your confidence there and you will not be disappointed. It's the word of life. It's the word of hope and glory. It's true even when it says Jesus will rise from the dead. So how much more it's true for you, dear people of God, in all that it says. Just in closing, there is so much misinformation in the world these days with biased journalism, with social media, with propaganda. You know, and it gets to the point where you even become cynical about knowing anything for sure. I think I'll just take the Babylon Bee for my source of truth, right? That's where we get to. I enjoy the Babylon Bee, but I'm just saying that that's where we're at as a culture and as a world. And more and more, we need to see there's really only one safe place for true, faultless information. And that's the Bible. And when journalists know the scriptures and get that truth of Jesus Christ into them, that's when they be, begin to be able to do their work better. Wow, Jacob and Lindsay, what a blessing to be able to build your life, your son's life, your home on a foundation that's unbreakable, that never lies to you, the word of God. Brothers and sisters, we all have that foundation. Let's rest on that firmly and securely and never doubt. God's word never fails. He has proved it by raising his son from the dead. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for giving to us your holy word. Thank you for giving us the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Not only told us in words, but happening in the real event. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're now in heaven at the right hand of God. You're gathering all your children to yourself. And our destiny is secure. We have nothing to fear. So help us to take this truth by faith and live this way. In Jesus' name, amen.